Hey, and welcome back to the history of China. Remember, go check out the website, which, yes, should have an updated post for this episode. Finally. Look, I'll be honest, there seems to have been a payment issue. So, while all the last posts for the last episodes for the last god knows how long, I thought those were up. But it turns out those were only viewable on private drafts. Look, I was a major in public policy, history, and a minor in Chinese. None of that was finance, computer programming, or common sense. That's on me. I apologize. But check out the link for this episode today because there'll be maps, there'll be images, there'll be the buttons, everything. And also, there'll be a little link for Glimpse, which as you know from last episode, Glimpse is a virtual event platform that uses match optimization technology for timed conversations that actually engage the participants. And as I asked last week, you know, what does that mean? Well, we know that while COVID and the quarantine world may be coming to an end, let's hope, virtual life has taken a turn for the permanent side of our lives now. It has. And Glimpse simply offers a better way to engage in virtual meetings. It's like Zoom, but like better. Don't believe me? Well, companies like Spotify, where you're probably listening to this podcast, Amazon, and SpaceX all use it. Colleges like Duke and Alabama have used it for recruitment events. And some people even use it for speed dating, which, yes, as I mentioned last week, I won't really need the speed dating function. But yeah, it's a fantastic product made by someone at Duke, so, you know, I even have a soft spot for the product on that end. But sign up at go.joinglimpse.com slash China. You can write that down, or hopefully if this all works, you can go to my website and see the link there. Upgrade today with Glimpse. Life update per the usual. It's been a decent amount of time since the last episode. So life update is I burned the salmon yesterday, but it's okay. I'm just kidding. Well, I did. But in all seriousness, I've really settled into Charlotte well. And I think there will be a run of episodes in the in a quick time frame from here on out. I already have the script for the next one written, so I better. But my job gets priority, and I hope you guys can see that. However, I will see what I can do. I've been trying my best to balance work, life, and the podcast. And it's not that I'm picking favorites, but I'm picking favorites and also things that, you know, it's my job. I have to do my job first. And I love my job. But look, last time, we were looking at Emperor Yin. He was the subject of a great triumph over the Xiongnu, and, well, was also the subject of the whims of his dominant political factions of advisors. It's not ideal. It really isn't. But don't worry. Emperor Yin wasn't done with problems, and his last one is a problem that is a problem for rulers anywhere and everywhere where succession is not a meritocracy. You guessed it, our good old friend's succession issue is back. Let's just jump right into it. So, without further ado, the History of China, Episode 42. The good times are coming to an end. Emperor Yuan couldn't decide between his two favorite concubines. Hmm. Sounds like he should have let his advisors make at least one more decision. Jokes, but really, they should have. Look, he technically had a de facto favorite, a favorite concubine. But yeesh, 
When I say de facto, I mean de facto. You can have an empress, and we know that you can be anything but monogamous. But as long as you have an empress who has a son, the system is pretty clear. It's weird, but it's understood by all. Having two favorite concubines is not really a system in the Chinese legal code, as you would imagine. And his crown prince at this time was technically a kid named Prince Ao, A-O. And every year that Prince Ao got older, he consistently showed that he was anything but emperor material. Let's just say he got distracted by the, uh, the finer things in life a little bit too much. Too many girls, too many parties, and not enough care about policymaking or even just adhering to regal customs. This is not ideal, and you already know the Han Dynasty has already peaked in terms of its territorial size. Perks of retrospect, guys. But things aren't going to get better for the Han Dynasty. And they can get made a lot worse by a young, womanizing, and distracted emperor should that person become emperor. But look, there was a chance to avoid this metaphorical kerosene on the fire. This train wreck of a teenager, and I'm being a little harsh, he wasn't a Caligula or Commodus, he was just not the best person for the job. But this train wreck of a teenager and his position as crown prince, well, they were shaky at best. Because remember, he was the son of a favorite concubine, not an empress. And to make things more interesting, the other candidate to be crown prince was a prince born from the other concubine. Oh, and even better, this candidate was about the same age. So, should there be a reason to switch? Switch your crown princes. It really wouldn't be that hard. But alas, we know things are never that easy. And the other candidate was Prince Kang of Ding Tao. Crown Prince Ao, though, the womanizing teenager who was less suited to be an emperor, well, he had people at his side. Though the chroniclers see these more as liars as opposed to legitimate advisors and, you know, people that supported him in a legitimate sense. Essentially, these advisors to the emperor who had the back of Prince Ao, well, according to the histories, they would just constantly make up excuses for the young prince. Like, for example, when he was clearly not grieving properly, the advisor said, look, it's not that he's a bad kid. No. No, he's not ignoring the normal grieving customs because he's too busy drinking and partying, which he was. But no, it's actually the opposite. He was only doing this to make sure that you, Mr. Emperor, didn't overgrieve. He always has your best interests at heart. See what I mean? That actually is a real story, but that's the kind of thing that had to happen. His mistakes, or missteps, let's say, were cast in a different light. And Prince Ao's head of household, a person named Shi Dan, who was a relative of Emperor Yuan's grandmother, well, he managed to convince them from not doing anything to change the crown prince. And he was, by the way, the person that went out and made up the over-grieving story. But Emperor Yen, for the part that he does take a lot of advice from advisors, is not an idiot. He might over-rely on people to make decisions, but he's a human being who can tell when things are not working right. But guess what? 
the dissatisfactions was, was there. He knew it. So right now, even though there's people making good excuses for Prince Ao, Emperor Yuan knows deep down that Prince Kong was a better candidate. And to make matters more complex, Prince Kong, the better candidate, who was not the de facto crown prince, well, he was a rock star. In the governmental and cultural sense, that is. Not the motley crew party animal sense like, well, his other prince. Prince Kong and the Emperor both love drums, though. So there is that to the Motley Crue example. But Prince Kong was clearly a bright mind. And he had an unmatched work ethic and dedication to the state. I mean, he's a prodigy. And Prince Ao, on the other hand, also had an unmatched work ethic. But his work ethic was more for chasing women and drinking. He was quite something. And this begs the obvious question. The most obvious of them all. Why didn't Emperor Yuan just change the crown prince? Why? For every person that was backing up Prince Ao, there were people that were pushing Prince Kong. Because allegedly, Prince Kong's mom, one of the favorite concubines, was trying to convince the emperor of just that. Why didn't he change it? Now, Prince Kong's mom was diplomatic about this. She realized she wasn't actually breaking rules. It wasn't like she was asking the emperor to abandon a legitimate crown prince of the empress. She wasn't breaking rules, but she knew if she pushed too hard and didn't get her way, and the other crown prince became emperor, well, she would obviously then be viewed as, let's just say, an expendable liability. Oh, she's the one that uh, was pushing to make me not emperor? Yeah, let's see how much she enjoys this now. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? That kind of thing. Advisors to the emperor pushed against this change of the crown prince. And Prince Ao retained his role. He was retained as crown prince. And they pushed against this because, yeah, while it may have been a good idea to switch the crown prince in terms of their resumes, it would really rock the boat. Not all of these advisors were sycophants for Prince Ao. Some of them really just said, look, if you change the crown prince from one to the other, you're just going to create maybe a coup. So, with that, when Emperor Yuan died in 33 BC, Crown Prince Ao, the womanizer and heavy drinker, ascended to the throne. And Prince Ao, I know this is confusing, will now be known as Emperor Cheng. So, with that, after the death of Emperor Yuan, and now we have Emperor Cheng, Emperor Cheng's mom, the favorite concubine, became Empress Dowager. And her name was Empress Dowager Wang. And I know I sometimes don't always include names for the sake of, well, dumping 100 names in five minutes is very confusing. But Wang, that's going to be important. And for Prince Kong's part, by the way, he was not executed. He was not killed. It was customary. He was diplomatic about it. He went back to his region and ruled, and he did fine. And yes, while his mom did try to make him the crown prince, she did it in a way where she said, look, there's no grudges, our bad. Look, we're not going to do anything. And honestly, to her credit, she did a fantastic job making sure that her intentions were nothing but honest. Because she knew that her son would be the Subject of hearsay. There could be rumors of conspiracies, all this sort of stuff, just because of his position. So she knew that, look, we can't try this anymore. 
She did the prudent thing, took her winnings, went home. So Prince Kong was fine. But he would have been more fine as the emperor, in my opinion. But let's just take a quick time out. For the last few emperors, it has all been seemingly court drama. And thus, for the last few episodes, it's all been court drama. And that was not because of some arbitrary artistic change from my end. No. Look, I love the military stuff more than anything. That change is simply because that is what was happening in the Han Dynasty at that time. In fact, in one of my more high-level, quick rundown books of the period that I used to research this, the period from Emperor Wu to about 30 years from now is compressed in about two paragraphs. Yeah, the dynasty is not suffering from endemic war. It's not suffering from any serious threats from abroad. There are no coups. And that has led to, well, first world problems, per se. While there isn't a Xiongnu horde coming over the border threatening your existence, now it's trying to one-up the advisors. And that's great, because as they say, you don't know what you had till it's gone. Which I don't always agree with, because look, it's silly. Some things, like Game of Thrones or the Chicago Bears, I would actually be happier that they were gone. And guess what? The Han Dynasty at this current rich and bloated coasting period will not always be like this. So if you weren't a fan of the last couple episodes because they were too court drama, too centered around the Emperor and his advisors, well, don't worry. Things are going to change soon. And lastly, during our time out, while I have you here, as the Han Dynasty becomes a mini court drama, elsewhere in the world, history is occurring like none other. In fact, one of the most well-known stories in ancient history has occurred, and I haven't even mentioned it. Because during this time, Julius Caesar existed, and that whole kerfuffle with Rome. Julius Caesar died just over 10 years before Emperor Yuan died. Each lived on Earth with no idea that the other one did. Heck, each lived with no idea that the other civilization even lived. Or did they? Next episode will be a supplemental about some very intriguing theories. Conspiracy theories to a degree at some point, but will also include Han culture and a reset because yes, if I haven't alluded to it enough, the Han Dynasty is about to go through a lot. Things are indeed about to kick off. So, with the timeout over, back to the new Emperor, Emperor Cheng. C-H-E-N-G. The year is 33 BC, and we are back in the greatest soap opera to date. Okay, so, the new Empress Dowager, Empress Dowager Wang, and her family were in this, i.e. the Imperial Palace, for all the perks of being in the Emperor's family. That is, again, Emperor Chung's mom. In your weekly awful analogy, you get a very toddler's antiaris type dynamic. And if you don't know what that is because you don't live in the United States or have been blessed to not have seen that show, long story short, the parents are using their children for their own gain. The Empress Dowager was of the Wong clan, and she was there to do better by the Wongs, not the state. Where is Huo Guang when you need Huo Guang? Look, I will say, 
The Wongs were not bad people. They weren't abjectly corrupt, but they were increasingly putting themselves in positions of power. They were every new post, they were putting another one of themselves in that post. That means the best people are being kept down while the Wongs, qualified or not, were being brought up. Furthermore, the policy and time spent for the state was less about actual problem solving or fixing things in the state. It was now inordinately focused on bettering the Wongs. This quickly led to issues. Of course it did. And this is obviously pointed to as one of the key reasons for the deterioration of Emperor Chung's administration. Sorry, spoiler, it's a terrible administration. What's the old adage they say? Hard times create hard people. Hard people create good times. Good times create soft people. And then soft people create hard times. The old Dan Carlin wooden sandals up the stairs, silk slippers down the stairs of high civilization. The Han Dynasty is not dying by any means. Well, kind of. But you're beginning to see some cracks. Lack of actual pressure or urgency in the dynasty allows for some objectively silly policy decisions because consequences are not immediately exploited by, for instance, barbarians streaming over the border or a coup immediately seizing upon any incompetence. In the warring states, if you were not the best leader at that time, do you know what happened? You died. Your state ran the risk of being destroyed. You could go from the highest of highs to being a vassal in a matter of years. But the Han Dynasty had built itself essentially enough of a buffer in terms of foreign policy, in terms of monetary policy, in all different realms. They'd built this buffer that allowed them to do things like this. Like having the Empress Dowager's family seep into the administration. And look, there will be consequences. Just not now. That's what's interesting about this. It's, you know, there's not the fall of the Han Dynasty. The Han Dynasty is not over yet by any means. But you can just see how leadership changes when there's no pressure. If the Wongs all put themselves into power like this, and then there was a huge war and you had a bunch of incompetent people, it wouldn't take long for that to give a really bad backfire effect to the dynasty. And the reason why? Well, because between 32 BC and 19 BC, things aren't that clear about the Han Dynasty. Life sort of happened. Wongs are brought to positions of power. There are some concubine problems, I mean, as always. We can tell that at some times, Emperor Cheng realizes the issues of this family mafia-style government, and yet he's recorded to have seriously considered modifying this power structure. But I'll be honest, he always failed to do so. I told you that smooth sailing in the Han Dynasty will come to an end. And you now have one crucial piece in place in terms of destabilizing an ancient dynasty, or really any authoritarian government. An inefficient government that can't actually handle real problems is the first crucial piece. They're not paying the price for it yet, but that piece is in place. And what's the other crucial piece? Well, come on, you know it. It's been a theme throughout this show. And was almost, uh, well, a theme before Emperor Yuan died. Okay, last hint. The name of this piece, or this issue, 
has the same name of an HBO show that I've been told to watch, but I won't because I don't like recommendations. Yeah, it's Succession. Succession is about to become a huge problem. Because his empress, Emperor Chung's empress, began to give some Henry VIII wife problems. You know them. Heir problems. Giving birth to sons or really kids at all problems. But luckily for Emperor Chung, well, you don't have to create the largest religious controversy in hundreds of years to try and get another heir. Because back in ancient China, we know this, emperors had concubines. Sometimes lots of them, and sometimes lots and lots and lots of them. But judging by the fact that I already said this would be a problem, don't be surprised when I say his favorite concubines also couldn't produce children. Uh Uh-oh. Though he might say uh uh-oh now, the Empress Dowager, for her part, had an easy solution. Son, just have more concubines. Infinite if it's what's needed. Gee, thanks, Mom. That must have been an uncomfortable conversation. But this seems like a great idea. Look, it really does. Till you start doing this, and none of those concubines have heirs, either. You had your empress? No. Favorite concubine? No. Endless concubines? Also no. But now a lot more can come out of the woodwork later and claim that their sons are the legitimate heir to the throne. Yeah, don't worry, we're going to get back to that later. But for the time being, Emperor Chung is failing to have children with everybody. But in 19 BC, and I know, court drama, don't worry, we won't be getting into things like this as in-depth, because, well, don't worry, things are about to get different. But nonetheless, I digress. In 19 BC, I know, years just flew by there, Emperor Cheng became enamored with a pair of dancing sisters, yet no more explanation needed on that either. I like my family-friendly rating. But these were called the Zhao sisters, Z-H-A-O. They were two sisters and they both danced. And the emperor quickly made them both his favorite concubines. You can fill in the rest. But in 18 BC, just one year later, the Zhao sisters accused the empress dowager as well as the other favorite concubine, the original favorite, They accuse them both of witchcraft. Of course they do. But look, none of them were executed, but both were done away with. The empress was deposed, and the favorite concubine actually was able to prove herself innocent, which back then is, well, based on the things we've seen, is actually pretty impressive. But reading the writing on the wall, the ex-favorite concubine looked around and said, you know what, I think I'm just going to remove myself from this situation. And she leaves the stage on her own will. And by 16 BC, just two years after that, Emperor Chung made one of the Zhao sisters his empress. Yeah. The Empress Dowager, Emperor Chung's mom, oh, she was not happy about this. This is not what she meant. This is not what she meant when she said, go get more concubines. I mean, she's a dancer for Pete's sake. She was lowborn. And the sister thing, too? I mean, what are you on, son? But I guess, you know, a grandson is needed, said the Empress Dowager. So, I guess we gotta take desperate measures in these desperate times. Obviously, that is a very, very relaxed language way of explaining the story. But you get the picture. The Empress Dowager was not thrilled with the Zhao sisters. 
She didn't like what that was. It looked bad. It was weird. But at the end of the day, if she can deliver a son, all is well. And by 9 BC, yeah, no, the Zhao sister also failed to birth an heir, the new empress. Which makes you think, though, by attempt 900, probably at this point, I didn't do the math or something, but, you know, maybe a lot. But after all those attempts, maybe it's the emperor's fault. But hey, that's modern day thinking. Back in those days, it was definitely not the emperor's fault. It was the women's fault, because the year is 9 BC. But in 8 BC, the next year, Emperor Cheng began to look around and say, all right, I want to have kids. The plan is to have an heir. But if I don't have an heir, my younger brother, Liu Xing of Zhongshan, is going to be the crown prince. That's our acting policy until I can have a son, which I totally will. And that was, by the way, in no small part to the fact that Prince Liu Xing's grandma was kissing up constantly to the empress, even the empress dowager and others, with gifts and whatnot. Yeah, he's the little brother, but also there was a lot of glad-handing by the family. So look, that's the contingency plan. Emperor Chung has gone through an empress, a favorite concubine, then God knows how many other concubines, then the Zhao sisters, then one of them as his empress, and still not a child, not a son? Okay, well, look, my little brother can be emperor if I die and I don't have an heir. Which is silly, because I'm still young. But then suddenly, in 7 BC, Emperor Cheng freaking died. A stroke, allegedly. Though, some ancient and modern historians say that this was probably, I mean seriously, an OD from aphrodisiacs in his desperate bid to have an heir. And more on that next episode. They weren't taking a Viagra or a Cialis, they were taking some herbal stuff. So, don't worry. There'll be more on that next episode. And again, I'm sorry for the overriding sexual nature of this episode, but that's just really the biggest problem of Emperor Cheng's career. He completely packed the government full of people that weren't qualified, and he couldn't have kids. And now he's dead, and it's 7 BC. And the two things that can destabilize an empire are really in place right now. No. A civil war is not going to break out right now. But I'm just letting you know that two very important things are about to bring down a lot of the stability of the Han Dynasty. Immediately after his death, that is, Emperor Cheng, there obviously were rumors about what happened. He ruled for a good amount of time. It wasn't like he ruled for two days. He ruled from 32 BC to 7 BC. It's not exactly a short reign. But in that reign, all he's really known for is, well, existing. Packed the government with people from his mom's clan, and, well, he couldn't have kids. There were obviously rumors that the mother, you know, there were obviously rumors of murder. And there were also rumors that, you know, the dancer lady, who is now empress, then went out and murdered Emperor Chung because she found out that there were actually sons that still existed from the old concubines. You can tell what a mess this is and how big of a mess it has yet to become. It's a, it's a mess. I'm sorry, I wish I had better words for it. There are rumors of murder. There are rumors of sons that really existed. There's rumors of, I mean, plots. It's incredible. But here's the deal. 
grieving for her husband and by the fact that she allegedly was very afraid of payback from killing a bunch of children and mothers, the dancer lady, Empress Zhao, or Consort Zhao, or whatever we want to call her, she killed herself. And then Crown Prince Xin, X-I-N, ascended to the throne as Emperor Ai. It's a total mess. He's inheriting a lot of big problems here, and I don't think he really knows how big of a problem things are going to be for him. The scene is set for a total meltdown. The government is a family mess of the Wongs. The new emperor is not the son. There are pretender sons everywhere. Yikes. If you like the calm court dramas, I mean, they're not calm, but if you enjoyed them, I hope you did. Because things are about to kick off. So, next episode will be a reset understanding what's going on in the Han Dynasty because we've gotten, well, I have gotten us all into a court drama over the last few months. Things aren't going to necessarily kick off next episode about when we're back on our normal programming, but get ready. The water's about to boil, the pan's about to shoot off, and we'll see when we get to it. But, you know... As always, go check out the website, rate and subscribe to the show. It means a lot because I know it doesn't mean a lot to you to do it. It's just a single tap on five stars, hopefully, but it really does help the show. And obviously, as busy and as and as stressed as I am, it means a lot to see that people are really listening. And remember to go check out the website and go to go.joinglimpse.com slash China. Trust me, you're going to want to do that. So, well, enough monologuing. You've heard me for, well, about 30 minutes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you all next time on the history of China. <laughs>